think dry and then you go back down. It's like a giant worm, and the worm goes back down into some sort of like. Would you think dry being dragged into hell would be pleasant? No, they have to make it as terrible looking as possible. It's pretty bad to scare you into being a good person, Marion. I know <laughs> that's all it is. I mean, I think this movie is just asking you not to murder like forty-two people. Well. Like maybe just just don't do that, you know. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college, which meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror section of our local video store in our quest to survive and to ensure we end up as the final girl. Join Julia and Marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror VHS we viewed and logged in our notebook. Breaking them down one by one, geeking out about all of the ghastly minutiae, and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Hey everyone. Hi. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. Oh, you were going to say it. I'm sorry. I you was. should say it. You should Can say I it. say it? Okay. Say it. We are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording here at the circus. So you did that so much better than I could have done it. Ding! This is episode 23. We are talking about the 1996 The Frighteners. Is it the it's The Frighteners? The right? Frighteners, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um the episode title? Uh this, the My Body is a Roadmap of Pain. <laughs> I love him. I love him so much. I can't. He's really like one of my favorite film characters. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll be getting into some Jeffrey Combs. I really I really enjoy him a lot. Uh so this film came out in 1996. Uh Peter Jackson, so this mm-hmm. is post Dead Alive. Uh, post Heavenly Creatures, right? Which mm-hmm. is uh, apparently a lot of folks came on board for this because of Heavenly Creatures. Yeah, which inc- makes sense to me, including Danny Elfman, who yeah. was like, uh, "Anything, man! Yeah. I saw Heavenly Creatures, and now anything you want, you got it." I would have been in that camp. I would have yes. been like, "Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever." Person number two, yeah. Funeral pallbearer number eight, okay. As uh, Melanie Linsky, who was like, "Oh, yep. I'll be random cop who has no lines." Correct. Okay, so here, but I get the main character named after me. Here's here's the main oh, problem. Oh, here's the beef. Okay. Why I have at this film. Okay. Why is it not Melanie Linsky as Lucy? Because she just played a 15-year-old like two years ago. She's not going to be like, it does matter. If you're supposed to be like a believable medical, we're like yelling already. Because if you're supposed to be like, we're like two minutes into this thing, we're like, what are you talking about? If you're supposed to be a convincing medical doctor, she's too young. She just two years earlier was playing like a like a cherubic fifteen year old, and now she's supposed to be like a practicing physician. Couldn't Lucy be? Like, I feel like Trini Alvarado is just barely passing muster. She is, you know. Well, that's and Michael problem. J. Fox is like well into his thirties, so it would have been weird, you know. And so I feel I, like I can't get past it. I really can't. Like why? the whole time, I just want Lucy to be Melanie Linsky. They call her fucking Doctor Linsky, correct? Um, and I feel like you could have her be like a med student. That would be fine because she. But she's not. She's a doctor in this movie. Like, she has to treat Patricia. So, Give like, her lines. Make her Patricia do something. I feel like, but I don't think you should, like, it should be like, I enjoyed this movie less because Melanie Linsky didn't have enough to do. That is exactly why that I enjoy this movie. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And That's- also, everything worked out for her, so you have nothing to feel bad about. But she literally was playing, like, a young teenager. She looks like a baby in Heavenly Creatures. And this movie came out two years later. I just, as much as I love Melanie Linsky, and I definitely do, I don't know if I would have bought it. Okay. You know, and then and then like, who does that serve? You know, it's like, yeah, you're tipping the hat. Good for you. But if nobody believes that she's like a doctor, no matter how great an actress she is, and if she and Michael J. Fox look a little weird together, then like, what is the point in that other than, but it's all chums and we're all, you know what I mean? At least give her some lines, man. I know, but that is, that's not the movie's fault, you know, like maybe your, your beef is with Peter Jackson. Maybe it is. You know? 
Maybe. More Melanie Linsky. That's my problem. Yeah. Also, Melanie Linsky enough. could have said like, no, thank you. She could have also been like, I don't want to be a cop and, you know, not really say anything. That's but she true. was like, okay. Yeah. Because Heavenly Creatures is like her first thing. Yeah. So I'm sure she was like, well, maybe let's do this where I don't have all the pressure in the world on me. Like, and I can just be on a big film set and be a person. Because this was like really starting Peter Jackson down the road of like legitimate filmmaking you know, I'm not just making these like weird horror movies or these weird puppet movies or this, these weird homicidal teenage girl, you know, like it's like a legitimate, he has like a, you know, bona fide kind of leading man. He has a budget. He's working with Danny Elfman. Robert Zemeckis is producing. Right. It was like a thing. And this is uh, Michael J. Fox's last leading role. Yeah. Yeah. After this is, I think, is when he decided he wanted to go back to television and, you know, maybe not be all over the world making movies all over the place. That um, sounds pretty good to me, I got to say. It does. But, you know, he's a dad. He's yep. got things going on. So, um, but if you're going to go out, this is the movie to go out on because um, I think this movie's really so great. So take us into this movie, Marion. So the beginning, I mean, there's definitely going to be some fawning on my part. Um, this movie starts with a great opening shot of, um, it takes place, I don't even know what state, it's meant to be in America, but it, the town is Fairwater, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, I think we are led to believe. Um, and the opening of this movie is sort of from the outside of the town coming in from the point of view, I think, of sort of the death soul collector character which will come up later and we we like hurdle on a stormy night into a very creepy house where d wallace is running around from you know running from an unseen entity all over the place and when you do eventually see what it is that she's running from it's a really cool idea for a creature it's not a ghost solely it's something that's in the walls and in the carpet and it can be in a table it's the sort of invisible thing that uses the house to kind of materialize like it'll be a painting that leans forward and it will grab her like as the curtains or as the table whatever and drag her up the wall and throw her across and all this kind of stuff and uh and basically it's chasing her all over the, all around the house and she's in her nightgown and her long crazy hair and uh and eventually her mother comes out of nowhere with this ridiculous shotgun and shoots the creature and it seems to kind of disappear out of the carpet and then hurtle towards the camera and then we get our opening credit sequence um and it's a great way to start um i think uh a movie and also it's a great way to sort of intro you into this world where the big bad is not something that you've necessarily seen before mm -hmm. or you know this version of it is not something you've seen before um and so i really like that um and then we basically kind of meet eventually we will uh we're also introduced to our lead character played by michael j fox who's frank banister mm -hmm. which is a great great character name i really enjoy that name um and i really like the introduction of him in this movie because he is definitely meant to be our hero but he's introduced in a very anti-hero kind of way he's at a funeral and he's passing out business cards, like, really inappropriately. Like, mm -hmm. at a funeral, you know, like, hey, hey, hey. And you read the uh, business card, and it says, Frank Bannister, psychic investigator. Um, and eventually, people are like, get out of here. What are you doing? Get out. And he sort of, like, ha is sort of half shuffled out and then throws all his business cards, like, at everybody. And he, you know, traipses through the mud and gets into his kind of, like, gross, junky car. Um, and he's, like, a terrible driver. He's, like, wand you know, he's driving. Terrible back. driver. Terrible driver. He's, like, going over curves and, you know, whatever. But it's just, you know, and he, and he kind of gets distracted and almost gets hit by a car and, you know, eventually he winds up in through the front lawn of these people. But he, the way in which he's introduced is that he's a mess of a human being. And yeah. this is definitely, like, everyone knows Michael J. Fox is the lead of your movie, but he's just, like, a mess of a man. And yeah. I really like that as, like, this is our guy. This is our hero. I like that, too. I like that. Um, and throughout the film, if if 
he's not a nice person. He's, he's so screwed up. Yeah. Like, he's just a very screwed up person. And I like that as... I like that they take Michael J. Fox and make him someone not nice because, of yeah. course, it, it because it's Michael J. Fox, he, you'll see him as nice. Exactly. Even if he isn't. Right. Which is why they cast him, I'm sure. Exactly. Um, no, and it, and it and it's great, too, because I feel like right away, Frank Bannister as a character has a very long leash as for what he can do and things he can say. And you're right. He says and does some things that are not great. Like he is very much, I think, an anti-hero hero in this movie. Like later it all it all kind of comes up. But I think in the beginning, I don't know, I, I kind of, I what I enjoy a lot about this movie, which comes up in these first two moments that I'm pointing out in particular, is that they very much play kind of against type. Like, oh, this is going to be sort of seemingly like a ghost movie, but the way in which we're going to show a ghost is not going to be something that you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And, oh, this is going to be our lead who's going to whatever, but he's you know, he's just not kind of, he doesn't seem like a traditional lead. He just kind of seems like a schmuck who's sort of in it for himself. And he's, and you know, he lives in this house that's not completed and gets rained in. And, you know, it's just, he's screwed up, like really screwed up from the beginning. Um, and I really enjoyed that mm -hmm. a lot. Um, so the lawn that he crashes into is the lawn of the Linskys. So uh, we meet Ray, who's played by Peter Dobson. Um, the asshole to top all assholes. I mean, he is... I really enjoy him again. And going into how this movie kind of does horror comedy... I think it's much more kind of taken from American Werewolf, a bit playbook where it's in the character's extreme points of view. And it's funny, I think, because Peter Dobson is just a super, his character Ray is just the super selfish, materialistic, you know, really into how things look. And, you know, he's into fitness and his lawn has to be perfect and all this kind of stuff. And he's the opposite of what Frank Bannister is. It's like if he's a mess of a person, Ray has like everything, you know, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. and On the surface. On the surface. And so when he comes in and just accidentally crashes into, you know, destroys his fence and his lawn, Frank gets out of the car and is like, oh, geez, sorry, all right, well, yeah, just send me a bill. And it's like trying to get out. And he was just like, no, you dick. And, you know, just like scree like takes it, is way more upset than you ought to be. Um, and Frank Bannister like purposely like backs out over a lawn gnome and whatever and, and drives off. Um, and then not in that sequence, but in a following one, you meet um, Dr. Lucy Linsky, played by Trini Alvarado. Um, and she's going to treat Patricia, who is Dee Wallace's character, mm -hmm. who lives in this incredibly creepy house um, with her mother. And um, she has these sort of injuries that seem a little mysterious. And, you know, she wants to take her to a hospital. And her mother was like, no, don't you know who my daughter is? Um, she can never leave. And, uh, you know, it'll come up later. But Dee Wallace does an excellent job of really playing to your sympathy in this. And th and that's why Peter Jackson cast her as well. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you see Dee Wallace and you're like, oh, mom for me tea. Yeah. And she's sweet and nice. And, like, yeah. she's so mousy and cowed and, and shy in this film yeah. almost in a carry kind of way and Very like I think they're mean. trying to like set you down that route and then mm -hmm. like they'll take a sharp left at some point yeah but it works because she does a really good job in the beginning like you do feel bad for her you know you're like oh well that's because the mom's the one who seems awful the mom right. is just like you don't know who my daughter is she's evil and so Wallace is hardly the embodiment of evil hardly <laughs> and uh, so it turns out that she is uh, Patricia Ann Bradley who was the part of a serial killing spree along with with her uh, crazy boyfriend, Jake Busey, who is uh, Johnny Bartlett. Charles Bartlett. Yeah. Um, who's 100% Charles Starkweather. Yeah. yeah. You have to have the three-part name, though. 
Yeah. Like there's always the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and they they went on a killing spree and now she has been house arrest. Right. They went on a killing spree when she was 15 and she was like in love with him. Um and so he got the electric chair and she got uh she was uh in jail until very recently and she's now middle-aged and like is forced to live with her mother. Um but you know it's very much like I, you know, like I'm not that person anymore, like you know, I was 15, like that was, you know. Um so Dr. Linsky has a lot of uh has a lot of sympathy for her. Um, and so anyway, she's watching a DVD of all this stuff um, back a at the house. VHS. Oh, sorry, a VHS. And uh, on the cover is, uh, you can see a picture of Melanie Linsky as, and Kins, Kate Winslet as their characters oh, really? in Heavenly Creatures. I don't think I noticed that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Okay. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and then they're sort of watching it and she makes this comment and, and Ray is like working out in this incredibly like douchey, you know, like lunges and rowing machine. And, you know, he's just like the worst. And she makes this great comment where she's like, where he's like, yeah, they should have fried her when they fried him. And she's like, well, she just fell in love with the wrong guy. It can happen to anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's great. Very simply, very whatever. You're like, okay, that is why they're together. You know, like that's, we got that. We, you know, like box checked, moving on. Um, But then all of a sudden the bed starts levitating and crazy things start happening. And it's a whole like poltergeist activity situation. Um, And Frank Bannister's psychic investigator card kind of like lands on the bed. Um, And so they call him and Frank is brought over and that's when he meets Lucy for the first time and kind of makes this deal. Well, hey, like if we forget about the lawn situation i'll just kind of take care of this for you right now and they're like uh and like you ray really really does not want to do it and then like lucy makes him do it so they do and on the way out um when frank's leaving um and eventually gets back to his house um two spirits emerge from his trunk um which are Stuart and cyrus i think is the mm-hmm. other one um and that's where you kind of start understanding what frank's deal is and how he's able to like make a living as a psychic investigator. Um, is he can't, he can actually see, he can see them. Yeah. He can see ghosts. Um, and he has like three of them. The other one being the judge played by John Aston. Um, but they all died at different points in time. So like Cyrus died in the seventies. So he's got this huge fro and these ridiculous boots and whatever. And the judge died during the old West. So he's really kind of fallen apart, but, uh, which is my favorite quote, by the way. Okay. Uh, John Aston as the judge says, when a man's jawbone drops off, it's time to reassess the situation. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and you kind of, and you know, the judge has sort of become kind of they live with Frank and um, they basically have this scam going where they'll pretend to be poltergeist in the house and then Frank will pretend to like get rid of them and then he'll collect a fee for it. I like turning turning seeing dead people into a con artist game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? That's the thing. And he, But he's doing it not to like make hordes of money. He's trying to finish his house. Right. And the judge keeps telling you, you're never going to finish this house. Like you're, you're stuck. Like this is, you know, this is your deal. Um, and you don't really know what that's about right now. Um, but basically... The um, there's been a lot of deaths happening in Fairwater recently, um, and so there's just a lot, a lot of funerals going on, and that's why unexplained Frank, heart attacks. Yes, like very young people, like people all over the place. Like you can't quite figure out what that's all about. Um, and the editor of the local paper, um, who's great, I really love her, Magda. Um, uh, basically has sort of started running stories about Frank being a con artist and she's ruining his gig. Um, and so he goes there to try and like, you know, come on, I can, I'm allowed to like earn a living as anybody else. And Magda's one of these characters sort of like Patricia's mother that I really enjoy where they have these sort of, Peter Jackson's very good at casting these sort of supporting characters who are kind of over the top, mm-hmm. but in a way that's like fun. Yeah. Like they're just 
a version of their character that's just kind of taken just to the nth degree. And they're surrounded by people who are leads like Trini Alvarado and Michael J. Fox who kind of play it very straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like, I think when you see people do scenes like that, like that, I don't know, that's a lot of fun to watch. And I feel like things are funny born out of that situation. Right. Rather, because you have sort of have the straight man and the ridiculous person in almost every scene. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more so than, you know, effects and crazy stuff and whatever um so when frank is leaving um magda's office is when he sees a funeral procession going by and uh dr linsky is in it and then suddenly he sees ray running down the street and he realizes that ray has had ray's been one of them and ray has a number in his head like carved into his head that frank can see um and he goes to Frank's funeral with him. Just be, or sorry, goes to Ray's funeral with him just because Ray wants to hear what everyone says about him after he died. Um, which I think is kind of strange, but also kind of human, I guess. Yeah, you you'd know. be curious. I mean, you'd be curious, but he's like, I really want to see everyone like be really sad. But what I love about that scene, Peter Dobson's really great in this movie, is when he goes to his funeral, he's the most sad about his own death, like way more sad than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. He's just like, look at me. I think he says he's like 29 or something in the movie. And he's just like, I'm just, I'm in the prime of my life. Like so sad, cut down so early. And he jumps into his own grave, right? He does jump into his own grave. Well, I, I think he actually is pushed into his own grave. Right. Yeah. This The movie plays a little fast and loose with sort of when people die, who can, because like, Frank can touch them and move them sometimes. Other times he can go through them. Okay. And so that a bit is a little unclear to me, like what exactly his relationship or the spirit's relationship, like sometimes they can they can walk on the ground, but sometimes like in a two-story house, they'll fall through to the next story. Right. And I don't really know like what's what that, the rules what are. What the rules are. Yeah, it's a little little fast and loose with that maybe. Um, but basically, yeah, the, the other thing I really enjoy that I have to just point out for two seconds is uh, – when he leaves the editor's house, there is the this spectacular car stunt that Michael J. Fox does. Do you remember this? There's He walks out and he's crossing the road and he's not looking and a car comes up and stops short from hitting him and it's like all in the same shot. So right. it's Michael J. Fox doing it and the car, like he jumps over the car. Okay. Like it looks like from where he was standing, the car's going to hit him that if he hadn't jumped, the car would have gone right through him. Okay. So he just jumps on the, the hood of the car and kind of rolls off in this great... Michael J. Fox kind of way. Um, and uh, it's just great. And it go, and it's, it, I mean, it's an amazing stunt to see an actor do, but it also really kind of goes to show sort of how discombobulated and just not together with the whole situation that mm-hmm. Frank is. Cause he's like, what's with the numbers? What's with all the people being cut down in life? Like what's, what's kind of going on? Like, I don't really know. Um, and so after Frank dies, he, or after, sorry, Ray dies, um, he takes Lucy to dinner and he kind of like a medieval theme. Totally restaurant? like a medieval times restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, that's when he kind of tells Lucy like, yeah, I can see Ray. Yeah. You know, Ray kind of has, and he, you know, Ray's just being the worst and he's like, cause tra- they're all three out to dinner, but only right. he can see him. Yes. And-, and he's saying kind of like not great things to her and he's trying to translate them to be like nice things. And you can sort of see the beginning of potential romance between mm-hmm. Frank and Lucy, but also Frank's very tortured and very, um, not really kind of willing to go there, but he does allude to the fact that his wife died and um, after, and that something happened. And that's when he says, um, because she's like, why can you see people? And I can't. And he says, they say that when you have a traumatic experience, it can alter your perception. And that's sort of, and I kind of like that because I feel like this movie is not super precious about the science of how this all works. Right. They're just like, yeah, if something really terrible happens to you, you can suddenly see dead people. That's how that works. Mm -hmm. And that's, kind of it so um, like you go you go through a horrible situation where your wife dies and then oh p.s you can now also see dead people yeah that's not that's, that's, that you can see why he would be so screwed up yeah 
Definitely. And also, I think it's it's the beginning of your show. You're like, oh, okay. Again, you're as you were saying, because it's Michael J. Fox, we already have like a tremendous a tremendous amount of sympathy for, you know, anything that Frank does. But you're like, oh, okay. It's like the peeling of the layers. Like, oh, okay, that's why you're screwed up. That's why I can see why Trini Alvarado would be into this. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, uh, Frank goes into the restroom at that restaurant. And as a man's walking in to use the restroom too, he also can see a number on his head. And suddenly, that's when we see the big bad in this movie, the soul collector, yeah. which is amazing. Like, I love that effect so it's much. A, it's a good death. It, yeah, it's solid. And I just love the look of the soul collector. That's like, it's basically sort of the Grim Reaper in it kind of in this very liquid form with like the the um, the scythe and uh, it Hood just and, the flowy and it basically tax, tackles you and then just like literally reaches into your soul and pulls out your soul and puts it in. It's like faceless face and kind of eats your soul and then you just drop and then you see people's like spirit version come out of their out of their body and the the guy who gets it in the bathroom I really enjoy him because he's just sort of like this kind of middle-aged businessman looking guy and as he's leaving his body I think this is the only line he has in it he leaves his body and he's like going up towards the tunnel towards the light he's like mom as he goes (laughs) up and it's really cute um and so but somebody comes in the bathroom and basically sees frank over a dead body and they're like uh he's already quite suspicious yeah and now he's really suspicious totally um so he ends up having to go to the uh, hospital the uh, police station um where we do see melanie linsky's cameo as like a deputy yeah um yeah and uh and it's where we meet my man who is he um the great milton fbi agent milton dammers mm-hmm. as played by jeffrey combs um, wow. who is brought in by uh the sheriff because he um gets kind of as he says all the fruity cases like he is sort of has gone undercover with a lot of cults and sex over the past few years and uh and he's i mean he's a tremendous weirdo yeah he's just I think this it's is- an actor being let Super loose. This is what happens and when I you give it. when you give Jeffrey Combs free reign. Is like yeah. him at his twitchiest, sweatiest, greasiest best, mm-hmm. lurking out of the, like just out of frame. His intro is so. He's just like, like peeking into the door frame, like just out of frame. Um, and I love that his like his big character thing is that women yelling make him physically sick. It's so... So he gets yelled at by women and like he has to go throw up because yeah. it makes him sick. Because he wants to know, he's also kind of very fastidious about time. So when he's interviewing, he thinks that Frank is has been killing all these people. Right. He's like, it's totally Frank. But he asks uh, Dr. Linsky, at what time like precisely did he get up to go to the bathroom? And she was like, I don't know. I can't remember. Da, da, da. And he's just like, <laughs> like, and like runs and throws up. And he's like, yeah, I just... I can't have women yelling at me like it makes him physically ill. Um, that comes up a few times, and I just think that's a really weird. And he's got this great like Hitler, yeah, comb over. It's comb so over. greasy and great. And his like he has no pupils. Yeah, they wore like black contacts, so he just looks insane. So bonkers. Um, and so they take him off to do this uh, interrogation scene. Yeah. with Michael J. Fox. Um, and again, there's another kind of interesting encounter between him and Dr. Linsky, where she's like, "No, no, but it's not him. He hasn't done anything," and. Frank's like, you don't, why, why, why do you say that, Lucy? Like, you don't know me. Like, you don't know the things mm-hmm. that I've done, the what, you know? And I, I feel like maybe in anyone else's hands other than Michael J. Fox, you'd be like, all right, dick, you know? But you're like, nobody's so tortured. You can, you, you can just say, want your help and love. Yeah, you don't understand. He's so confused. Um, but there's, a, I, I think probably 
one of my favorite scenes in this movie is the interrogation scene between um, Jeffrey Combs and Michael J. Fox. And that's kind of a strange pair to have a scene mm-hmm. together, like a very serious interrogation Michael scene. Michael J. Fox is so straight and Jeffrey Combs is so out of control. Totally. and But in control. Yeah, I know. Very much so. And I really like it. And, you know, Milton kind of reveals that he he kind of goes through the whole, we have a flashback where we see how Frank Bannister's wife died and um, that she died in a car accident when they were having an argument and, um, and we know he's a terrible driver. And we know he's a terrible driver. And that when she was found, the number 13 was carved into her forehead and Frank's utility knife was gone and has never been found since. And he was basically found wandering like two miles away, claiming to have no memory of like anything that happened. And so he thinks basically that Frank's been killing people ever since then and carving number, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but he also thinks that Frank can do it by like using his mind like he like talks about how there was like some somebody in Russia or something who was able to like stop a frog's beating heart with just the power of his mind and so he's like yeah you can do that I bet you can and Frank's like no I'm not a killer and then and then Michael J. Fox starts really having a freak out which Mm -hmm. I I really love actors who are like otherwise kind of known for mostly sort of comedic light roles kind of going real dark and real whatever and he definitely does and he puts his head in his hands and his hands just start shaking and Milton's like what are you are you doing it? You're doing it right now. You're trying to kill me right now. <laughs> and that's when he says um, our, uh, um, the title of this, which is um, wh- where he's like, but you can't because and he like rips open his shirt. And he was like, you know, my body's, oh no, not that one. Um, sorry. That was a different one. But he's like, I'm wearing this lead plated vest right now. And he's got this like vest that's like completely covering himself. So Frank can't Stop his heart. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I'm prepared. I don't know why a shield of lead would do that. Cause you would think like if you have telekinetic abilities, like you have telekinetic hey, abilities, he's right? Had some t- he spent some time with some sex and some uh, cults. No, I know. So he knows. I understand. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just think it's really great. Um, and so basically, yeah, like he's Frank's imprisoned and Dr. Linsky comes to him and is really trying to get him to be like, this isn't you. I know this isn't you. And, um, and again, Michael J. Fox is like really sad and like crying. Him crying out. is the saddest thing. It's Ooh. like watching a puppy cry. It's kind so of. incredibly Michael sad. Michael J. Fox tears? Oh. Sad as kind of tears. Um, it's really sad. Um, but what I do, I really, I like, uh, I mean, you know, you and I probably disagree with this. I really like Trini Alvarado in this movie. And I really like that she's the one who's kind of his heart where she was like, I've got this feeling about you. It's mm-hmm. not you. You know, you just, you just don't have it together for whatever reason. And she sort of spearheads like, you know, we're going to get out. We're going to do this. And while they're having the conversation, he can see the number on her head and he knows that she's next and that kind of helps him like okay we're going to break out of here and we're going to do this and his great plan is that he's going to break out and because she's a medical doctor it's like very flatliners yeah. it's like i want you to freeze me to kill me and then she knows the exact amount of time his heart can be stopped before she can bring him back and so she takes him like to a hospital and puts him in a freezer mm-hmm. And lets him freeze to death. Yeah. Um, and then when he's like frozen like that, he's he just basically goes like it's sort of like an alternate version of the town they're already in, and basically goes looking. It's like the upside down kind of. It is like the upside down. The only confusing part to me is sort of when he finds the soul collector. What's the plan to get rid yeah. of the soul collector? There isn't really a plan. Not, he hasn't thought that far ahead. I guess yeah. And I and but I appreciate the like this is how I can get him on like the same terms. Right. But at that point, it's like it's a little, a little fast and loose. So anyway, um, he's, uh, uh, you know, Dammer shows up and is basically trying to stop 
her from like, oh no, oh he's dead and frozen and you can't. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna kidnap you and have you not bring him back to life. Um, and anytime the two of them are together, I really enjoy it because they have a sequence later where like they're in a car together and she's he's like chained her to the door and she's like, let me out of here. And he like can't drive the car because he's so nauseous because she keeps screaming at him. Such a great character trait. It's really trait. great. I really hope that Jeffrey Combs came up with that on his own. He's like, here's my character trait. Women yelling makes me sick. Yeah, no, I think that I think that is really great. Um, and eventually we kind of go back to um, the Patricia character and... Uh, we find the utility knife. Frank's utility knife is in her closet and she still has the ashes of Johnny Bartlett. And then you realize that the ashes of Johnny Bartlett are the, is the creature that's sort of been like fake harassing her mm-hmm. and whatever. And um, Bartlett comes back and you see Dee Wallace is bonkers and she has been pretending the whole time. And she has, they have this great hospital chase that's between, that's with Michael J. Fox and Trini Alvarado um, through the hospital. And they're trying to get Bartlett's ashes banked back to a church, to a sacred ground and in order to finally like, you know, I not go to heaven, but go to the other place. And uh, but creepy hospital scenes are always, you know, abandoned hospitals are our prime horror movie locations. And it's fantastic when, and again, I'm sure when he Peter Jackson's describing this to other people, they're like, that's going to be scary. Yeah, yeah. Dee Wallace is going to be chasing them with a shotgun with a flashlight attached to it. And she'll be like sliding and rounding corners. And she's just bonkers. Mm-hmm. Like she's so crazy. And she does such a great job of not only being crazy, but she's crazy kind of in a 15-year-old girl kind of way, yeah. even though she's like a middle-aged woman. Mm-hmm. And she and Johnny are just as much in love as they were, you know, like 30 years earlier. Um, and she has this like crazy laugh. And there's a great sequence where I think she loses her gun for a bit. And so she's grabbing various other things in the hospital to try and maybe that'll be a killing sort of gives it a try. And and then Johnny's like, no, no, baby, do pick something else. She's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And she's just nuts, like yeah. so nuts. Um and I love that. And that's like the big reveal of, you know, you thought she was going to be on, you know, the side of our heroes and definitely not. So we assume that uh, Johnny Bartlett's just kept her alive so she can physically kill people. But he's right. also killing people and he's dead. So why doesn't she kill herself just to be with him? Because Well, part of it is, too, that before Johnny is fried in the electric chair, he's trying to, I think, beat Charles Starkweather's score, right. quote unquote. Oh, so and that, he hasn't. Right, exactly. And Patricia is helping him do it because he he can kill people. Like he's the, he's the soul collector. Like he can kill people, but she's carving the names. She's using Frank's number, knife. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she, or the number. So she is the one who carved the number into Deborah, Frank's first wife's right. head yeah. after she died in the car accident. Right. So they're um, working together. Right, exactly. And I forget now what the number is, but it's like 43 or just like some ridiculous number of people that they're trying to kill let's take them and then she was in prison for a long time right so only like in the last five years they've been able to because i think the first time you have um i love the flashbacks in the hospital when frank is kind of jolted back into being in the hospital 30 years earlier when the murders happen Mm -hmm. and so it's a thing where he's walking down a a gross hallway and then he turns around and the place that he just walked through it's a great filmmaking trick is suddenly pristine and perfect and just like it was 30 years ago and you can see a doctor talking to an orderly with his back towards him and then the orderly turns around and it's Jake Busey. Um, who Just plays, as insane as Gary. I mean, that, perhaps more. That family. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine like Thanksgiving at their house? Wow. So funny. You're like, wow, this is, uh, I feel very nervous and very like, yeah, when people are laughing at the jokes, you're like, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> um, but you see him, yeah. And so when people are killed with the various shotgun blasts or whatever, it will blast him 
sometimes back into the old version of the hospital and sometimes the new version. And so it's a great, it's a great device so you can really see the horror of what they did. And then you see like 15 year old Patricia walking around with her little knife, like right. carving numbers into people's foreheads because she's totally bonkers. Um, and so, yeah, so eventually, you know, they get, they're able to get the ashes back to where they need to get them. And do you remember the scene? I don't know if you remember the scene. Do you remember the scene in Ghost when Tony Goldwyn dies and like those black creatures yeah. get mm-hmm. him? And mm-hmm. that was a very upsetting scene yeah. for a little girl. And I feel like their version in this movie of that same sequence where they die and there's a light that they start going up into and they're like, haha, you're not going to get us. We're going to heaven. See you, suckers. And then all of a sudden these like crazy worm things mm-hmm. start coming through the light and like they wrap them up and it goes like through their eyes and out yep. their mouth yep. and it's like very yeah, upsetting. Yeah, man. Well, you don't think dry And being... then you go back down. It's like a giant worm and the worm goes back down and some sort of like... Would you think dry being dragged into hell would be pleasant? No. They have to make it as terrible looking as possible. It's pretty bad. To scare you into being a good person, Marion. I know. <laughs> That's all it is. I mean, I think this movie is just asking you not to murder like 42 people. Well. Like maybe just just don't do that, you know? Because like I say, you can be deeply flawed, like Frank's deeply flawed, but right. like it'll probably work out for him, you know? Um, but yeah, anyway, so, um, and then during all, all that is, uh, Milton is also killed um, by Patricia during that whole sequence. Um, Where, uh, but he he reveals. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm have, sorry. There uh-huh. is a, we have our, our title for this yes, episode. And, and also that's true, like Milton basically doesn't, uh, thinks that Frank is still the bad one. So during the whole hospital chase, Milton keeps like also part of the chase and is like interrupting them and, you know, trying to get Frank and Frank's like, you have no idea what's going on. And Frank at one point, my favorite quote is he calls a frank goes god you are such an asshole and milton goes uh milton goes yes i am i am an asshole with an uzi and um (laughs) and that's what he's going to use to um but he he has this crazy monologue to dr linsky where he without the lead vest on rips open his shirt and he's got these like tattoos and scars and just my my body is a roadmap of pain my body is a roadmap of pain and basically like (laughs) this is why i'm crazy i've been undercover with the fbi in all these cults and sex for so long i went twang um and so anyway at the end of the movie you know milton is killed but at the end of the movie um the sheriff shows up and you know all is well and there definitely is like the post-mortem scene where they're having champagne they're tearing the house to his house they're tearing his house down because he's gonna start a new life never gonna finish it gonna start another one right um, and, uh, the sheriff shows up and, you know, kind of gives, I forget what he even says to them, but as he drives off, Frank can see that Dammers is in the ghost Dammers is in the back of the sheriff's squad car looking very unhappy. And Dr. Linsky comes over and is like, wow, Milton looks pissed. And he kind of looks at her like, what? And she's like, well, he said, you know, after a traumatic experience, you can, it can give you a new perspective. And so like, she can see stuff too. Now they both see ghosts and they're in love. Yeah. Ghost hunters in love. I don't know. That's pretty cool. Ghost hunters in love. I'd be in on that. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, you don't have to be like a ghost hunter, but like, hey, like as a couple, we can both see dead things together. I guess that would help. That's, yeah. You'd feel like less crazy. You, uh-huh. You're seeing everything on the same plane, you know? I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. Um, so, okay. For, for, so for me, uh, this film, um, it does, I don't, I don't feel the way about it. You feel, I feel like it's a little bit all over the place and it's kind of like, there's a lot of scattered kind of stuff going on that I'm not really clear about, like kind of back and forth. Like what? Like, uh, you know, like we're going to stop his heart and we're going to, he's going to freeze and then, oh no, we're going to go to like Patricia's house. Oh no, we're going to go to this hospital. We're Mm going to like, it just kind of, it's, it's not as like. I just feel it's kind of like all over the place. Um, and okay. I, and I feel like, um, 
for me, the effects don't hold up very well. Okay. I feel like they're, you know, very early computer generated stuff. So mm-hmm. like all of the like within the walls and within, um, they look kind of hokey now. Sure. Um, and I like, so for me, I just go like, oh, what if they had done that practically? Like, but do you judge it by today's standards? I feel like we've always talked about watching movies with special effects and judging it by the standards under which the year that movie came out. Cause I right. feel like with a lot of movies, it's not fair, you yeah. know? And I feel like by 1996 standards, it's pretty solid, right. you know? I mean, these are all the people that are going to do all the Lord of the Rings stuff later. Yeah. So I felt Richard like... Richard Taylor. I know. So I feel like by 96 standards, I think it holds up. Yeah. Well, you also, you know, you do have... Um, uh, Rick Baker comes comes in as mm-hmm. well to do uh, the judge the judge effects. So yeah. like, like there are like the practical stuff and they, mm-hmm. they do a blend of it. So, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, it just doesn't quite ring your bell as it does for it me. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I wish it did. No, there's no, that's so many, fair. There's so many elements of it, yeah. you know, and like I love Peter Jackson and um, I love his punk rock cameo in this. I know. And like, it's, it's super. He's, you know, so like I like and we're getting, you know, we lament now about like we lost kind of fun Peter Jackson. And mm-hmm. I think like this is like maybe the penultimate kind of fun yeah. Peter Jackson mm-hmm. um, horror film. And, and but, you know, like for for me, like Dead Alive is such a perfect horror comedy and blends them both so well. And yeah. I feel like this film doesn't do it as well. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say that that's true in terms of like the blending of those two worlds, because I think Dead Alive is much more comedic and also has a lot more horror stuff going for it. I feel like the story of this movie, I like a lot. And I feel like in in more of a kind of a mainstream kind mm-hmm. of way, um, I feel like it works really well and you ha- you keep enough of that sort of weird Peter Jackson sensibility and also introduce a lot of new elements, but also, you know, have an anti-hero and have like a strong female character and have one villain that's really, you know, crazy, creepy, like the soul collector and one that's hilarious, but not, but that doesn't make him any less frightening. Right. You know, like he's funny because he's so bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, I feel like Peter Jackson's just really good at combining those two genres. And I, I do wish he would do it more. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to take us through our gore? Uh, yes. Um, so for gore factor, uh, we have one through five. One is not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup. Two, puddle of blood. Three, enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four, bathtub of blood. And five, run for the barf bag. Um, and we gave the Frighteners uh, a two. Okay. Which is fair. I mean, there's a not... lot of ghost effects, but not much gore. Right. I would feel like the gr- the grossest thing is really um, when Dammers gets his head blown off, mm-hmm. um, but then his ghost head is like immediately replaced with it, and his face is like, did I did I just die? Did I just did that just happen? <laughs> um, I love that so much. Je- Jeffrey like the, confu- Combs. the confusion of like. D- my face just get blown off? I, just, I think that just I, happened. The movie is worth it for, I mean, for Jeffrey Combs alone. He's so amazing. He's so great. I know I'm like way overbuilding this. I'm sorry, guys, but I just really enjoy You can't him. overbuild Jeffrey Combs. Uh, so our movie ratings, we have one to five chainsaws, one if you're desperate, two barely qualifies as a horror film, three seen better, seen worse, four not too shabby, and five fantastic oracle. So we have a split here for this one. A big one. I feel a like this is one. one of our biggest splits. It is. So um, I gave this a three seen better, seen worse. Mm-hmm. Marion gave this a four and a half. Yeah. So it's not too shabby, plus a little bit more. Almost a five. Almost a five. I think the only thing that prevents me from giving this a five is the point that you just brought up. In terms of kind of comparing this to sort of in the world of horror films, it's not the most horror of the horror-tastic of the horror, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just really like the story, and I really like the characters a lot. Um, but I, you know, it's not like Rosemary's Baby, Exorcist, you right. know, whatever. It's just, it's a lot of fun, though. Um, and I, again, I think that's a big component of mixing horror and comedy is it's supposed to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think this movie is a lot of fun. 
So um, thank you for listening to us talk about The Frighteners. Yeah, and listening to me just go on and on and on because I'm so excited yeah. about this movie. Um, so uh, Christmas and New Year's are coming up. Um, yes. And so rather than just kind of uh, for the next couple of Mondays doing uh, just a regular episode, we're going to do some new things and uh, have... New things. New things, sorry. New things. Um, and do a couple of mini-sodes. Um, one for Christmas and one for New Year's Day. Um, the Christmas one, which is coming out next, we're going to be talking about um, uh, some Christmas horror films, which actually comes up more than you would think. Yeah, there's um, a, there's there is a big crossover. Yeah, which kind of makes sense. I feel like it's very sort of dark and stormy night. Like that, yeah. you know, that kind of makes sense to me. And then uh, oh, uh, we'll be back uh, in the new year mm-hmm. in 2018. Yep. Uh, uh, starting off with House. Yeah, William Katz House. Not the TV show. No, not the TV show. Um, not the TV show, um, but another horror comedy, um, which is also interesting. We'll be talking about Some that. Some to talk about. Um, so we, you can find us in all the places, the Facebook, the Instagram, all that stuff. Um, also, if you guys can drop us a little review on iTunes, that would be awesome. So uh, see, we'll, we, we will see you for House, and we will talk about William Cat mm-hmm. and George Went. Yeah, and George Went. <laughs> it's our first George Went horror film. <laughs> but hopefully not our last. I know, if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> all right, see you guys. Thank you. Survival.